So again, the title of the message, Jesus' Resurrection, what does it mean to you? And we're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56 through 58. The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And our Father, on on this morning, I just want to, Lord God, ask that you would not let one person leave this place or people who are watching today on television, Lord God, before the, just the meaning and the depth and the passion, the reality, the relationship, the experience that comes to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. May it live in their hearts. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, um, my son and his beautiful wife, Mariah, are here with baby, my granddaughter, Charlotte. And um, and my daughter Rachel is home watching with baby Nathaniel. And I held both of them. Sue and I held both of them yesterday, and it was great. So, First Corinthians fifteen is a res- it's, it's called the, the Great Resurrection chapter. Okay. And it really deals kind of with the theology and the doctrine of the resurrection. And what you have here, when it begins, Paul talks about all those who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Many witnessed him after he had been crucified and raised from the dead. And um, then he says, if Jesus didn't rise, right, we're just all dead. We're dead in our sins. We have no hope. And he says, he says we're, we're more than pitiful. Whenever I read that, I always think of Mr. T, right? Pity the fool, right? Pity the fool if Jesus has not risen from the dead. Then he gets into, he gets into some really, like, it's like scientific doctrine where he's talking about what the resurrected body is, is like, a resurrected human body, what it's like. And then he concludes with this verse where he basically says, now, therefore, since Jesus has been raised from the dead, and then notice this, we have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, right? We, we are victors, not victims. And then he goes on and he says, we are immovable, right? Steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So there, there, is, there is an effect, there is an experience that we should be having as a people who believe that Jesus is our risen Savior, so it's not, it's not just an, you know, an intellectual ascent of belief. It's something that should be living in us. It should be living in our hearts. It should be essentially working itself out into every cell and fiber of our being. It makes a difference. So in the Gospels, okay, there, there are ten times, ten situations, where Jesus appeared to people after the resurrection. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Actually, you'll find one in Acts as well. So what, what I would like, by the way, that's a great chart. You want to take a, take a picture of that or get that name, Google it, and you can find it. Some theologian did a great job just uh, mapping that out for you. You may want to do some studying of that. It's a great week, week this week. Study the resurrections of Jesus because you get some, just some wonderful verses about those who experience the risen Savior. But what I want to talk to you again about today is what does it mean to you? So the, the first thing... I want to share is love. So the, the first person, okay, who was the first person to see the risen Savior? Mary Magdalene, right? What was in Mary's heart for Jesus? A whole lot of love. A whole lot of love. John, John the Apostle, there was a whole lot more love, right, for Jesus that he had than the other apostles. And Mary Magdalene, I say Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of the Lord. They're the three that, that had this passionate love for Jesus. So, so watch. So it tells us here, now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. Now Mary's at the tomb and she's weeping. She's looking into the tomb. I mean, man, her eyes are filled with tears. She's, she's grieving. You know when you go through a time of grieving? And you ain't thinking, right? You're just, you're, you're just so filled with the grief, you can't see anything around you. And so now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. 
And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She's supposing him to be the gardener. (laughs) So if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, and this is key, he just spoke her name, which he spoke, which he spoke many, many times during the years that she, she followed him. And he says, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. What did she do? She grabbed on to him. <laughs> she grabbed on to him and let you go. He said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And look, this, this is a picture of the Christian life. The, the Christian life is a loving relationship with God. I, I want to affirm this to you. It is to know God and to be known by God which means to be known by God, we are transparent. We are honest with him. We, we remove our fig leaves. All the facades and the fig leaves that we carry through human life dealing with one another, right? Even sometimes with our own spouse. We remove all of those fig leaves and those facades to be perfectly transparent and perfectly honest with him. So it is not just to know him, but to be known by him. And the ultimate, the ultimate experience of that relationship is love. That, that we experience His love and we love Him. And that, that is it. It's, listen, Christianity is not a religion. If you really get down to the roots of it, it is not a religion, folks. It is a relationship. And let me tell you, you could be, you could be in the religion with the rituals and all the other things and not have a relationship with Him. You read, you read 2,000 years of church history and you will find that the, many, many honest Christians have come out and they said that. They were in the church. They experienced religion. They were baptized. They were experiencing communion. But they did not have a relationship. John Wesley, in fact, who started the Methodist church, probably one of the, 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 you know, the great leaders of the church through the centuries, that was his experience. He had the religion, but he didn't have a relationship. And it was never meant to be a religion. It was meant to be a relationship. And a relationship, ultimately, of love. Of experiencing the love of God and then loving God. Because we need love. And He created us for love. And you may, you, know, you may be able to go, what, about four or five minutes without air? And you may be able to go, I don't know, three days, four days without water? And you may be able to go 40, 50 days without food? Some of you may be able to go a little longer than that, right? Here, this. <laughs> and just as you have those needs for food and water and air the human being has a great need for love. You know, we die without love. It may not be as, as quick as dying without air, but we die without love. And you look at, you look at people, right, when, when they are not experiencing love or giving love, they die. They become hard. They, they become angry. They become bitter. Their soul dies. Their heart dies. So during, during World War II, when... The battle was going on in the Philippines, and um, it was Philippines, all of the, the islands, Manila, the island you know, battles between the United States and Japan. What was happening is there were, there were these children being left, their parents, their moms and dads were being killed, and there were all these orphan babies. And so they were brought into the military hospitals, and the doctors were taking care of them, the nurses were taking care of them, but they were dying. And they were given the, the best medical attention. They were given the best medicine and these little babies were dying and they couldn't figure it out. And then this, this one doctor started to figure it out. He began to notice that the babies that were being held, the babies that were, you know, were being held in the arms of the doctors and the nurses and they were being loved, they were the ones who were surviving. The ones who were being left in the beds, they were dying. So they brought out all of these nurses from the United States, young women, And their total job was just to hold the children and love the children. And all of a sudden, the children started thriving and they started surviving. And it's a great example about, again, our need. We have a need to be loved. And we have a need to love. And and again, 
It's beyond even loving one another. It's being loved by God and loving God. So that, that's what Jesus brings us to, the resurrection. A loving relationship with God. Second, joy. So the, the second appearance is in Matthew 28, 8 through 10. The women, these women that followed Jesus throughout his ministry, these women that were at the cross, these women that were at the empty tomb, God bless the women, and God bless all the women in this church who do so much, so much for the building of the kingdom. Young and old, you bless me so much. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples, and suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said to them. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. I want you to, want you to notice the word filled with joy. It's not filled with happiness. It's filled with joy. The word in the scripture is, is we get the word charisma. And um, happiness depends on happenings. Right? Something good happens, you feel good. Something bad happens, you feel sad. Right? The roller coaster. Most people are on an emotional roller coaster every day of their life. Something good happens, and they're all filled with happiness, and something bad happens, and man, they're, they're absolutely miserable. He's not talking here, and it's not talking here about happiness. Right? Sunny day, oh, I feel great. Rainy day, I feel bad. On top of the mountain with the angels, I feel great. Down in the valley with the demons, man, I'm absolutely miserable. That's happiness. Right? You're up and you're down. Joy transcends happiness. You know, you can be unhappy and be joyful. I want you to think. Think about the loss of a loved one. And how many times, right? The loss of Rich just a short time ago. It wasn't really a loss. It was his gain. It was our loss. Pedro. Pastor Pedro. I mean... Our loss, Tammy, the kids, huge loss. His gain. And you know, we could be there and be unhappy. We're unhappy at the happenings. But we have joy. Joy in, joy in the Lord, joy in the risen Savior, that they are with Jesus. So this, again, joy transcends happenings. You can have a joy every day of your life, 24-7. You can have that joy in your life because He's with you, because He is risen, because He's in your life. And because He's there revealing His presence to you, there could be a joy 24-7, but happenings come and go, right? It comes and goes. And someone wrote, happiness versus joy. Happiness is a feeling based on circumstances, and joy is an attitude that defies circumstances. Really, joy is a belief that defies circumstances. If you haven't experienced it, you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Because I, I lived the early part of my life thinking that, you know what, it's, all, it's, just about, it's just about happenings. It's just about, you know, something good would happen, I felt good. Something bad would happen, I felt bad. You know, you, you're doing really good and you're making money and you're successful and all of a sudden you get a scratch on your car and you're miserable for the next three days. And that's how I, I thought we had to go through life until I began to understand this, this, this thing, this spiritual power that God gives to us called joy. Nehemiah in Nehemiah 8.10 said, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that is really true. The joy of knowing the risen Savior becomes a strength in our lives. Number three, evidence. So you have the, the story of the two on the road to Emmaus. The two are on the road to Emmaus, and they're talking about Jesus' death, and they're talking about how you know, everybody in the city, the whole city, knew about it. And they are disciples of Jesus, but they believe that he is dead, so they are grieving. They are in a place where they're mourning. They're in a place of unbelief concerning the resurrection. And what does the Lord do? He comes walking along with them. But somehow they don't recognize him. Now, some people say they didn't recognize him because they were walking into a sunset. And they were blinded by the sun's light. Okay? By the way, as Christians, we never walk into sunsets. We always walk into sunrises. Others, because of the grief, they were so filled with grief that they could not recognize that it was Jesus. And some people said that Jesus actually disguised himself. 
Whatever, we'll find out when we, uh, when we get to heaven. So Jesus is walking with them, and here's, here's a part of the conversation. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. What not the Christ have suffered these things to enter into his glory, and then the beginning of Moses and all the prophets. Moses and all the prophets, folks, that is a, a just quick, that is a quick synopsis of what we have in what we call Tanakh or the Old Testament. Everything from Genesis to Malachi. He says, And beginning at Moses and the prophecy, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Because if you understand the Tanakh, the Old Testament, every book, every chapter talks about Jesus. <laughs> and I've spent the last 40 years studying that. Studying the Hebrew, studying the verses, and you, you, know, you hear me talk about this. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus. Actually, there's about 400. You'll find prophecies about his birth, right? The place of his birth, the time of his birth, the manner of his birth, his betrayal, the manner of his death, people's reactions, piercing aside, burial. I'm going to show you just, I'm going to just show you three really quick here. Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little amongst thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler of Israel, the ruler, the Messiah, whose going forth are from old. He's everlasting. It's a prophecy saying the Messiah would be God. And that is a prophecy that speaks of his birth. And by the way, when Herod inquired of uh, the, you know, the, the priest as to where the Messiah would be born, what they say in, in, in Bethlehem? People knew that. In Psalm 22.16, by the way, Psalm 22.16, between verse uh, 12 and verse 18, you have about 10 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled while he was on the cross. But just this, this one, it says, For dogs have surrounded me, a congregation of the wicked have enclosed me, and they pierced my hands and my feet. They pierced my hands and my feet. By the way, he, he fulfilled 29, uh, 29 prophecies in one day on the cross. But they pierced my hands and feet. So this was written by David, by King David. We have really good archaeological evidence that, that shows. David wrote Psalm 22 at about 900 B.C. Does anybody know when crucifixion was invented? It wasn't invented until about 500 B.C. by the Persians. It was then adopted by the Greeks and it was perfected by the Romans. So this is 400 years before crucifixion was ever invented now, David, I don't believe David knew what he was writing here. The Holy Spirit was giving it, had given him to him. So, so watch, you know, again, it's the prediction of the crucifixion and Jesus' hands and feet being pierced. Now, if, if that's not evidence that demands a verdict, uh, you know, I, I, don't know, I don't know what is. And then you have prophecies of the resurrection, Psalm 16, 10, and 11. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol. That Sheol is the grave. You will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. No decay. You will show me the path to life in your presence in the fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, now, again, that's a prophecy and a prediction that the Messiah would rise from the dead. And there are a number of those prophecies again in Tanakh, in the Old Testament. So, so watch, let me just show you this. We talk about mathematics. Of all the sciences, math is the, really, let me tell you something, it's the only true science. I study, you know, scientific theories. You look at this. You study scientific theories for the last 100 years, you'll find 90% of them have been proven false. While, while the scientists were there and saying, it's happening, what you have today, it's, it's like science is used when it's politically convenient. So watch just probability, scientific, mathematic probability. The probability of just eight messianic prophecies being fulfilled in one man is one to uh, in ten to the seventeenth power. Uh, that's a number with seventeen zeros in it. Okay, that, that's the that's what it looked like. The probability of eight prophecies, one in ten to the right, that to that power. So what it, what it would look like, 1 in 10 to the 17th power would, if you covered the entire state of Texas, two feet deep, okay, in, um, in silver dollars, and then you just kind of went in there with your eyes closed and reached down and pulled out a silver dollar, that's 
what that odds looks like, okay? Now, that's just eight prophecies. What if you do 48 prophecies? The probability of just 48 messianic prophecies being fulfilled, that's what it looks like. And Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies. I'll tell you something, you're not a believer, and I wasn't a believer, folks. I was an atheist. And I started, you know, looking into these things and studying. I've been again, studying these things for 40 years. But you need to look into them. So here, again, here are these two characters walking on the road with Jesus. And he starts to explain, right, the messianic prophecies to them. I don't know how many he explained, but now he's, he's enlightening them from the law. Okay, there's no New Testament, right? There's no New Testament written yet. It's just the Old Testament. And then he sits down, right? They say to him, oh, don't, you know, this beautiful scene. Don't go. Jesus is like, well, I'm, I'm going to keep going. He goes, don't go, don't go. Stay with us. The, the night the night and evening are falling. And so he says, okay, I'll, I'll come in. I'll have a bite to eat with you. And they sit down at the table. And what does he do? He breaks the bread. And then they recognized him. And then, bang, he's gone. Now, I just want to, I want to say this to you. What, what, evidence has done for me it's rooted me it's rooted me it's it's i i i become so deeply rooted and that my faith i want to tell you something and people say well i doubt the lord i've never doubted jesus i doubt you <laughs> i doubt people doubt the politicians doubt the world i i have never doubted him and through, I believe, the study again of the Lord, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and studying the prophecies. My faith has really gotten unmovable and unshakable. So when the winds of deception have blown over my life, I ain't moving. When the winds of disappointment and the winds of suffering have hit my life. And those of you from the church, you know that there were times in our lives that we've experienced some real grief. But my faith was never shaken. Never shaken because of the evidence. The next is peace. In John chapter 20, 19 through 20, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, this is later that night, Sunday, right, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, he appears to the two on the road. Now, now he, he's going to appear to the apostles. So when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, they're terrified. They're terrified they're going to get crucified. They were assembled for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be to you. Shalom. Beautiful word, shalom. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then his disciples were glad, and they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. Shalom. And as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Peace. And most of the time we think of peace, you know, peace. Peace in Hebrew, in, 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 in the Greek as well, it's, it's total well-being. Well-being of body, of soul, of, of mind, of, of spirit. It's, it's total well-being. May the shalom of God. When a Jew, when a Jew says shalom, they're saying total well-being be upon your life. Beautiful, beautiful, powerful word. So, Peace. And, the, and the, the, the ultimate peace is peace with God. Right? We, we stand at the foot of the cross as sinners. God is above. He is the holy God. The cross is the bridge between sinful man and a holy God. And it's, it's through his, his death and His resurrection that He gives us peace. And we can live with peace. You know, I find this when, in counseling people and working with people for years, that is, that is something that people crave. They crave peace in a world where, where there is no peace. But that's what Jesus came to give us, peace through Him. To be at peace with God. To know that He, again, loves you. To know you're forgiven. To know you're accepted. The next is, is faith. So we, we know Thomas, right, is the doubter. So the next week, 
It was eight days later after Resurrection Sunday in John chapter 20, 24 through 28. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see his hands and the print of his nails and put my finger into the print of his nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. By the way, you want to see some great evidence that I believe, I believe there's great evidence that the Gospels are true, is when they were written, they were written with incredible honesty. And they basically, they show Peter denying the Lord. They show the apostles not believing. They show them hiding. They show them deserting him. I mean, if you were going to write, if you were going to write a story about Living Word Community Church, and I want to take the 12, the, the, the 12 great leaders through the history of Living Word Community Church. Sammy, we're going to tell all the bad stories, right? Because there have been some bad stories, right? We're sometimes, we're not so proud of ourselves. We've fallen short of the glory of God. You read a biography. Hey, by the way, read a presidential biography with presidents that we know some of the things that they've done, and they don't tell you all the bad things, they tell you the good things. Autobiographies are the worst. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay, Matthew, Mark, and, uh, and, 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 you know, outside of Luke, Luke was a historian who gives us a historical account of Jesus, but... The other three were with Jesus. Mark wasn't an apostle, but he was there the whole time. He was a young kid. When they write, they write with this candidness. And here's Thomas. And basically, Thomas is the doubter. Thomas is the unbeliever. And they're totally honest in the presentation. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside. And Thomas with them, uh, Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. And then he said to Thomas, Reach, right here it is, reach your finger here. And look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus, again, showed him his hands, pierced. Hey, by the way, that's a reminder for all of us, for all eternity. We're going to see that those hands are pierced when we get to heaven, just to remind us how much he loves us. And Thomas then falls on his face, and he says, My Lord and my God. Now Thomas experiences here faith. Jesus says this, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen you, yet have believed. I have never seen Jesus. <laughs> never seen him. I'm going to tell you a little story in a second that, that may... You may say, oh yeah, but you said you didn't see it. Well, I'll tell you a story in a second. But I have, I have never seen Jesus face to face. Yet, like it says in 1 Peter chapter 7 and chapter 9, Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. I want to tell you something. I've never seen him. And I love him more than anyone. Love him more than anyone. And I, I've, never, I've never seen him. And though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I've never seen him, but I believe in him. Folks, I believe in him more than I believe in you. By the way, I believe in him more than I believe in myself. Because he never changes. And is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you know, sometimes I can be a little changing, a little flaky. Number six, guidance. So a few weeks later, they're up on the Sea of Galilee. Seven of them are fishing. Jesus makes them breakfast on the shore. You've heard me talk about having breakfast with Jesus. Having breakfast with Jesus is a great thing. I have it every morning, have breakfast with Jesus. And then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? Right? He calls out to them, have you any food? And they answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. They caught 153 fish, cast it on the right side of the boat. He's giving them guidance. He's giving them direction. Don't we all need guidance and direction in this life? Don't we all really need some supernatural guidance and direction in this life? Why are there so many psychologists, psychiatrists, counselors, pastors, teachers, right? Because people need guidance. People need guidance. So he says to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat. Hey, by the way, if you're, not, if you're not catching what you want to catch, if you're not getting what you want to get, if you're not experiencing what you would like to experience, 
Maybe you're casting your net on the left side of the boat instead of the right side of the boat. Now, I'm not, not going to get into all kinds of material stuff with you with this, but I'll say this to you. If your net of your heart is empty, or maybe you, you, you need more love in it, or maybe you need more joy in it, maybe you need more peace in it, maybe you need more of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, gentleness, uh, self-mastery. You need more of that in your heart. Maybe you've been casting your net on the wrong side of the boat. I frequently see that. In counseling people and meeting with people, you know, you look at them and it's just, it's, you know, just, it's not going the way they want. They're not experiencing what they want. There's something missing. There's an emptiness there. There's chaos instead of peace. There, there's, there's misery instead of joy. And there's hatred instead of love. Maybe you're casting your net. Remember, when you cast a net, right, you're, you're going to catch stuff. You may get a lot of seaweed. You may get a lot of sea junk. You may get some dead wood, driftwood. But when you're casting your net on the right side of the boat, you're going to catch what he wants you to catch. So there's guidance. There's guidance. Number seven is renewal. Hey, our hearts can get hard, right? We become disappointed at times with things. We become disappointed with people. We become disappointed with the world. You see a lot of evil. You see a lot of pain. You see a lot of suffering around you. Sometimes our hearts just get hard because we do bad things. But our hearts can get hard. Our faith, right, can get old. And our prayers can get cold. And our eyes can get dry. Teeth green. And we can drift away, right? We drift away. And we drift away like Peter, right? Peter, Peter, just, Peter was there with Jesus and he's drifting away and he's drifting further and further away until he just flatly out denies him. Denies him three times. So when, when Jesus has breakfast with the seven up at the Sea of Galilee, it's a time of, of renewal for Peter. So the, the, the word... I'm just going to read one. He asked him three times. So when they didn't breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Because that was Peter's issue. He didn't love Jesus enough. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. I've been having breakfast with Jesus for 40 years. <laughs> About 30 years ago, two of my best friends, who are still very good friends of mine, they, they said to me, because when I accepted the Lord and then I married Sue and I started to go through Bible college and then I went through, you know, seminary and I, I was working in a church and I planted Living Word. Uh, they were like, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't involved. We used to go out drinking all the time. You know, we, we'd go out, you know, hanging out together and I wasn't doing that with them. And I think it was John who said to me, he said, you still believe in Jesus? <laughs> He was like, you're still into this Jesus stuff, he said. He goes, you, you really believe in him? And I said, well, and, and this is what I said to him. I said, I, I just hung out with him for two hours. Literally, you know, praying and reading in the word and just being with him, being with him, sensing, sensing his presence. And uh, that's what I've been doing for 40 years every morning. You know why? Because I need to. I need to. I, I need renewal every day. I, I need to renew my relationship with Jesus every day. I need to experience His forgiveness every day. And I, I need just to you know, be touched by His love every day. I need, I need that clean slate, fresh start, new beginning every day. I need that. And that's what I get when I hang with Him every morning. You ever read the book of by Ernest Hemingway, The Capital of the World? I read a lot of books. Read a lot of books. But I didn't read a whole lot of books <laughs> until I was about 22 years old. And um, I don't think I picked up the book, a book all through high school. But um, I loved the, the Ernest Hemingway book, The Old Man in the Sea. And this is a short story, The Capital of the World. He's a great writer, just an incredible writer. But it's, it's the story of a, of a boy who has a, a problem. He has a... 
Basically, he does something wrong, and his father throws him out of the house, and the kid is left on the street. He's homeless. Uh, the boy's name is Paco, and he's been wandering the streets of Madrid homeless for like a year. And so his dad takes out a, um, an advertisement in the Madrid newspaper that says, Paco, meet me underneath the big clock in the middle of town at 12 noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. Anybody know what happens? 800 Pacos show up. <laughs> you, know, you know what Ernest Hemingway was saying? That's, that's the craving and the longing in our heart for forgiveness and renewal. And that's what Jesus offers to us every day. Come and have breakfast with me. Experience my forgiveness, my grace, my mercy. You know, it's funny, this morning... I don't know, yesterday was a really good day. I got up and had time with God. I worked out, I did some work on my sermons, visited my mother, um, then spent time with my, my kids and, and their children. And um, it was a really good day. And then this morning when I spent time with Jesus, I always I, you know, praise him, thank him. I pray and, and I confess my sins. And I kind of got to confession. I was like, jeez. In the last 24 hours, I don't know, there weren't, there weren't too many sins. In fact, there really weren't any things that I could think of that I need to confess. I just confess, Lord, because I know there's still this part of me that could be very selfish. But other than that, it wasn't a whole lot to confess. But, boy, I'll tell you, just it was a time of incredible renewal this morning. Incredible renewal. Just a few more. Purpose. So, um... In Matthew chapter 28, 16 through 20, it calls the Great Commission, right? Now it's getting closer to Jesus' ascension. And then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded to you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Notice the word make disciples. That's the mission of our church. We are here to make disciples. Disciples are people who are followers of Jesus. We're not, we're not here to make people who just simply come on a Sunday you know, and sit, um, you know, just church people. We're here to make disciples, people who become true followers of Jesus. You know, how, you know, how do you do that? Well, you, know, you, you share the love of God with a person. You, you do it from your heart. You show them that you really do care because they don't care what you know until they know that you care. And, you know, you build a relationship with them and you share. You share the good news with them. You share that, that word of God's love and what, what God did for them through Jesus Christ. And they come into a relationship. And then simply what you do is, you, you know, you teach them. You teach them about Jesus. You share Jesus with them. And that, that's how we essentially make disciples. I'll tell you, just when I first came to the Lord, I was in the fitness business, and, you know, it started, it started with just a couple of people. It was great, the Nautilus Center. If you ever did a Nautilus workout, you, you tie them to, you basically belt them in on a machine, and they're stuck there for 60, minutes, 60 seconds before you put them on the next machine, and there were 12 machines. So I had, about, I had about 15, 16 minutes to be able to witness them share the gospel before I let them loose. And, um, but I, I had the privilege of sharing and having a few people come to Jesus. We used to do Bible studies on the racquetball court. Eventually, we started doing them in our home. Eventually, that led to the beginning of a church and then to what you see here today and other churches that have come out of here. But um, that's just, it's just a sharing. You share Jesus. And then you, they make that decision to take him into their hearts and you, you teach them about Jesus. That's, that is, is a great purpose, a great purpose to be living. Think of it, it's sharing the love of God with people in, 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 in deed as well as in word. What a great purpose to be living in this life. Well, they have purpose to build your businesses and to build your careers and to raise kids and all the others. That's all good. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's a purpose above purposes. And he gives us purpose. When purpose 
is experienced, it brings passion. And it's a beautiful thing when you have a passion and you live with that passion every day. Number nine is calling. This is one that I think a lot of times people miss. In 1 Corinthians 15, 7, it says, And after that he was seen by James, then all the apostles. And it talks about Jesus appearing to James. And this is talking about James. Who was James here? Do you know? It was his half-brother. Mary had other children. Okay? Um, you know, she, the virgin birth was, was through, you know, the power of the Lord, through the Spirit. But then she had other children. And one of them was James. And by the way, they were unbelievers. All of Jesus' brothers were unbelievers until after the resurrection. Now, after the resurrection, Jesus met with James. And I believe, you know what he did here with James? Who became the leader of the church in the book of Acts? James. Acts 15, James is the leader of the church. I think this is Jesus saying to him, Now, James, right? you're going to become the leader of the church. James, you're, you're going you're to lead the church now through this, this very turbulent period as the church expands in Jerusalem and then to Samaria and Judea and to the very ends of the earth. And it's, it, it's a calling. And, and God gives us a calling. You know, he's, he, he's calling you today. So there's, there's one, if you know me, I think I'm pretty level-headed. I think I got both feet pretty firmly on the ground. Uh, but there's one experience that I had shortly after I accepted Jesus. Uh, I had a dream, a dream while I was sleeping. And I was sitting in, a, in an arena, like the Colosseum in, in, in Rome, sitting on the stone. And all of a sudden, there were, there were these guys who walked past me with robes, and all I saw were their sandals. And I kind of in my spirit said, oh, Jesus, it's like the apostles are walking in front of me. And then the last one to walk by, I, all I saw was a hand. And it just, it didn't say anything, he didn't say anything, he just followed me. And that is where I felt I received my calling to do what I'm doing today. But I'll tell you this, I never in my wildest dreams ever imagined I'd be doing this. Never. But he called me to preach and teach his word. Last one. Power. So before he ascends into heaven, he says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, Therefore when the Lord had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, And you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria until the end of the earth. And that is power for life. Power for living. We need power. I used to think I was strong. That was my whole thing, being strong. Right in the gym at powerlifting. Right, Joe? Bodybuilding and boxing and martial arts. Be, Be strong, be tough. And I want to tell you something. I was weak. And I know how weak I am. The amazing thing is, the more you think you're strong, the actually, the more you basically are weak. And um, I need power. I need a power that, that doesn't come from dumbbells or kettlebells or barbells. I need a power from on high to live victoriously in this life day by day because you know what happens? Life comes at you, right? Life, life, and it keeps on, it it doesn't stop. And the frustrations and the disappointments and the discouragements, they come. But through his power, we can live victoriously. And that's what he offers to us. So here's my, my final word. Final word for the day. Right, so just quick overview. Love, joy, evidence, peace, faith, guidance, forgiveness, purpose, calling, power. Can I just summarize it all in one word for you? Can I just summarize, take, take all of that? You're gonna walk out, most of you are going to walk out here. Maybe you remember one or two things, but let me, let me simplify this for you and just put, take, take all of those wonderful blessings that can be yours through the resurrection with one word, Jesus.
God with us. Open your heart. Invite him in. And experience his wonder. And it'll be the most wonderful thing that you will ever do in your lifetime. But it's Jesus. I pray and I hope that you do that this morning. The beginning of a wonderful life. Let's all bow our heads and close in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your resurrection, for your victory. And Lord, I pray today, this morning, Lord God, there are hearts here that are opening and inviting you, Jesus, to come in. Just invite him to come into your heart. Say, Lord, I welcome you. I welcome you as the forgiver of all of my sins, my Savior, and as now, Lord, the leader of my life. And I pray, Lord God, that your blessings that we've looked at today would fill me. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. I want you all to, to stand with me, and um, we're going to, you know, folks, we'll open the altars. If you prayed that prayer this morning, you're welcome to come forward. We can have uh, Pastor Sam. In fact, he's right up here. He'd love to meet with you, give you a Bible, help you to understand the decision you made today. And just if you want to just come up and you want to pray about things in your life, you're welcome to come, okay? Thank you, Pastor Frank. Yes, the altars are open for you. That's why we built them for you. That you may come and maybe have some quiet time with the Lord or pray with somebody. So please take advantage of it as we sing this closing song.
him in your heart today I hope he dwells there always and you can have that experience every day every day you can have that experience of Jesus and it is truly a wonderful experience may God the Father Son and Spirit go with you all bring you home safely bless your resurrection day your marriages your children your grandchildren your homes the work of your hands may he fill your nets always in Jesus name amen